When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast, Week 7 Recap Edition. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, this is a crazy-ass weekend of college football we just watched. Uh, how are you, sir? How did you How did you do this weekend? Uh, neither one of my teams played, so I avoided any major catastrophes there. Also, I went 5-0 and against the spread. Now, the better question is, how are you doing? Hmm. You know what, Joey? Let's, actually, let's, say, I've been, let's say I've been better. Yeah, actually, let's, let's roll the tape, shall we? Hey, this is Joey. Uh, it's been about 30 minutes since Georgia Tech lost to Miami, 25-24, on a last-second field goal by the Hurricanes after a last-second unbelievable circus catch uh, on the sidelines. Uh, I've had several beers. I'm not very happy. I, I'm just... Coming in here to just throw something in here just to record it and so that y'all know my feelings. Uh, I cannot, I cannot believe what I just saw. Um, I'm very, very angry. Um, this is a team now that I, I just saw a stat, by the way, that um, this team has led. So they, they've played 150 minutes in five games after halftime, right in the second half. Of those 150 minutes, this team has led or tied for 149 minutes and 56 seconds of those 150 minutes. Uh, they've not led or uh, tied for four seconds in the second half. And they've lost two games so far. Uh, they've now lost a bad, bad loss, a frustrating loss to Miami to go with a an, like an inexplicable overtime loss in the first week of the season to Tennessee a Tennessee team that has ever since just gotten a whole lot worse. And um, I I just, I sit here and I question like, what am I doing? Um, Is this worth it? Like, I I don't, this is just so frustrating. Um, I I, I blame Ted Roof. Uh, The defense was just really vanilla and really passive they were trying to prevent a touchdown in a situations where field goals were going to beat them. They had fourth and ten. Miami threw a pass into double coverage, and it was knocked down. But the problem was it was knocked down right into a Miami receiver's hands, which is just total horse crap. Trying to keep a PG-13 here. Um, I don't know what I did to deserve this. Like This is this is absolutely ridiculous. I am, I am so just angry and upset and I don't know what to tell you this is I'm so frustrated Um, I'd like to think this is going to get better for Georgia Tech this season there's something statistically significant about a team that can lead most of the way in most games and if they lose the last second in a couple of games like surely that's not a real uh, representation of what they are and surely they're going to be able to come back and actually finish the deal in some of these games but 
man, there's been two games that they haven't, you know, totally put away by like the start of the fourth quarter and they've found a way to lose both of them to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. And I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I am, this is just a feeling of disbelief. I'm so angry. I'm so upset. I, I am, I, I hate Miami. I hate the fact that Miami has done this to this team. I, I'm, man, whatever. I don't. I, I question why I continue to uh, really care this much about this team. Like this, these are the kinds of losses they've had. Two losses like this this season. Uh, Book ended with the Falcons' loss at the end of the NFL season last year in the Super Bowl. Like I, I just wonder why I care this much. It is just unbelievable. So. Georgia Tech loses 25-24 in a game that they led the entire way, basically from about the 10-minute mark of the first quarter all the way through to, you know, I don't know, five seconds left in the fourth quarter. And this is my life, and this is your life if you're an Atlanta sports fan. If you're a Braves fan, if you're a Falcons fan, like, this is how it goes. And, uh, you know, you can just deal with it, and I'm going to have to deal with it. And uh, good thing I have beer, so... Go Jackets. Uh, We'll talk again next week when they get uh, Wake Forest for homecoming. That'll be a real easy win, right? I mean, I hope so, because Wake could get a little weird. So uh, here's to hoping they get the job done next week. We'll see. Go Jackets. Go Jackets indeed, Joey. Go Jackets indeed. So we'll get to that game in a couple of minutes. Uh, Rough afternoon yesterday for Georgia Tech, I would say, right? Um, But brighter times ahead perhaps I don't know I don't get how this team has lost two games by a total of whatever it is like three or four points two points three points I don't know two points two points two points they led for letter tied for all of like all but six seconds in the second half of both those games that they've lost makes no sense yeah no sense whatsoever. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But, yeah, crazy weekend across the college football landscape, not just in the ACC. Yeah, uh, been a tough one to digest, as you can uh, clearly tell. Um, I have not had as many beers today as we sit here recording Sunday night. I've not had as many beers today as I had yesterday. But, uh, you know, so I've moved on to a different stage of grieving. I don't know what they are, but I'm sure that I'm in a different one by now. Uh, but beyond me and my team and its problems, uh, it was a crazy weekend in college football altogether. A whole bunch of top 10 teams go down to unranked teams. We came into the weekend saying, oh, there's no ranked matchups. Like, this is a crappy slate of games. And then next thing you know, uh, they're just total chaos left and right. Um, the ACC was not immune from that. And, Mike, we got to start with our own top 10 uh upset by an unranked team as the number two Clemson Tigers go down in the Carrier Dome on Friday night. Syracuse 27, number two Clemson 24. Uh, I Apparently, I picked the wrong night to go to the movies. Um, the wife and I went and saw Kingsman, the Golden Circle, which, by the way, pretty fun. Uh, didn't get great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, but I disagree. Fun movie. Go see it. Um, and as that's going on, I'm getting my phone is blowing up, and I'm trying to subtly check, you know, my phone, which isn't really an easy thing to do in a movie theater. And I'm seeing things like Syracuse isn't really going to pull this off, are they? And this can't really be happening, is it? And Mike, you texted me at one point like, "Holy crap, is this really happening?" And I'm like, "Is what? Wait, what's happening?" And next thing you know. Syracuse pulls off the win. Um, we talked about this going in, that this was a bit of a weird spot. Friday night in the Carrier Dome can be a weird place to play. Um, it's a weird time of the week to play. 
all this stuff. Clemson by you know by a mile should have uh, been the better team in this game from a an execution and talent perspective. And that just wasn't the case. Uh, Kelly Bryant went out midway through with an injury, a uh, concussion in particular. They The, the, the Clemson offense struggled to uh, establish and retain traction, really. They, uh, they got out – like Syracuse ran 83 plays in this game to Clemson's 57. Uh, the Orange did the thing that they've done in upset losses recently, just sitting on the ball, um, holding on to it, just, and just – owned the game. Um, this was a huge win for Syracuse and for Dino Baber's program. Uh, your boy Eric Dungy had a big old day, Mike. Uh, future ACC Player of the Year, Eric Dungy, by the way. Um, this is a, a huge win for Syracuse and, and a pretty disappointing loss for Clemson, but I think it's fair to say that they're probably still the favorite in the ACC Atlantic, at least considering what else is going on around them in the division. Yeah, I mean, the ACC at this point is just a complete dumpster fire. We just don't really know what we're getting week to week. Um, <laughs> everybody, yeah, like, I think I know stuff, and then Clemson loses to Syracuse, and then immediately I'm like, oh, wait, I don't know anything. Um, I think my response to you, Joey, after, you know, you kind of said, wait, what's happening in that text message exchange on Friday night was, oh, um, yeah, Clemson is somehow losing, and you responded with, well, I picked a bad night to go to the movies, which I think was a completely fair statement because Clemson found a way to lose to Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. Um, let me start with this. Kelly Bryant leaves the game, and Zarek Cooper comes in. He played fine. He was 10 of 14 for 88 yards, uh, a lot of short passes there. He tried to run the ball, but he kept getting sacked, and his rushing numbers ended up being five carries for negative 10 yards. I promise you it wasn't as bad as it sounds there. Um, a couple sacks did contribute to that total. But the thing I was more impressed with was Eric Dungy. Uh, 278 yards and three touchdowns, added another 61 yards on the ground, and that is your ACC player of the year candidate, Eric Dungy. We've made... Yeah! <laughs> We've made a lot of jokes about that. We've poked fun about, you know, poked fun at that recently. And, you know, Syracuse has kind of been riding this roller coaster with wins and losses. But this was a nice game for Eric Dungy on a big stage against the number two team in the country. On Clemson's part, I don't really understand why Hunter Johnson never made an appearance on offense at quarterback. Um, we've seen him. We saw him just last week, actually, against Wake Forest. Threw, came in the game, threw a touchdown pass they never went to him in this football game. And I don't know if Dabo Swinney was worried about the speed of Syracuse's defense and their linebackers, and he wanted more athletes on the field. Like, I, I really don't know. Hunter Johnson is, I mean, he can move. He's got pretty decent mobility. But Zarek Cooper is obviously more athletic than Hunter Johnson is. Hunter Johnson is a better passer than Cooper is. So I didn't really understand that at all um they they got tried to get Travis Etienne going I was surprised they didn't give him more carries he only had five touches for 68 yards on the ground Tavian Feaster seven carries 57 yards and a touchdown really didn't understand that at all um big night for Hunter Renfro mostly because they were trying their best Syracuse's defense was to cover up Deion Kane um Kane still had seven catches but it was only for 55 yards Hunter Renfro shook loose a couple times. He had five catches for 64 yards. So Clemson's offense was finding a way to move the ball. The most comical thing about this game to me was late in the game, Clemson's driving down the field. Syracuse stops them on third down, and Clemson is faced with a fourth down and manageable. 
outside of field goal range, they decide to try a fake punt in which their punter Spears, I forget his first name right now, rolls out to the right. He has a wall of blockers in front of them, and he decides to throw the ball down the field into double coverage instead when he probably could have picked up the first down with his legs. Dabo lost his freaking mind on the sideline at the punter, which we've seen before. We've seen him lose his mind at the field goal kicker, at the you know the placeholder. I we, we've seen everything. Um, Dabo loses his mind, but I think really it was a matter of just being frustrated with how this game went in totality. Uh, he came out after the game, said, "Look, Syracuse just flat out outplayed us." Dabo went so far as to go to the. Syracuse locker room and congratulate Dino Babers personally after the game and congratulate the players on their victory. Clemson's players were singing a similar tune in the post-game press conferences where they were like, look, Syracuse is a better team. Hats off to them. We got to learn from this and get better. That's a good attitude to have, but if you're Clemson, this is an incredibly alarming loss. Uh, This is a team that you're clearly better than on both sides of the football. It's a tough place to play, yes, at the Carrier Dome, but overall, especially defensively, Syracuse doesn't have the athletes on all three levels to compete with you for four quarters. And they found a way to do that in this football game and shut down the major playmakers that the Tigers had, which is kind of a scary thought. Now, I think Clemson will be fine. I do think they'll win out. You know, I think they'll be the ACC's representative in the college football playoff. But at this point, Unless NC State really gets rolling, which, I mean, they seem to be, we'll get into them later, and they're able to beat Clemson and knock them off and finds a way to win the ACC championship, Clemson represents the sole hope of the ACC to get to the playoff at this point, in my opinion. So we're just going to have to see where this loss kind of takes Clemson. You know, will they learn from it and, and keep moving forward? They only dropped to seven, I believe, in the new AP poll that came out this afternoon. So, you know, we'll see where Clemson goes from here. I think they'll be fine, but they got outplayed on Friday night, and that was the most alarming thing for me. Mike, there's one other team I think that could get into the playoff from the ACC. Really, I should probably say there's two. One of them would be Miami. They haven't lost yet, and until they do, I guess you have to consider them, although I I have some issues with them, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, The other team that is very, you know, could have a very realistic shot at getting in is NC State. Uh, NC State's next two games on the road at Notre Dame and at home against Clemson. If you win both of those, you're probably winning the Atlantic Division. And if you're winning the Atlantic Division, you're probably going to end up 11-1 and going into the conference championship. Uh, if, if you can win that, 12-1 and with this resume of wins over Notre Dame, Clemson, uh, Florida State, Louisville, on and on and on, that's, that's a playoff resume. So we'll, we'll see if the Wolfpack is able to pull that off, but... For now, again, rough loss for Clemson. I'm with you. I think that they'll be all right. Um, they, they need to figure out the quarterback situation. Kelly Bryant's gotten beat up in the last couple of games. He needs to get healthy. Um, and, and really, they need him for the stretch run if they are going to make a run at the playoff. Um, but in general, Clemson has the tools. They just need to uh, execute a little better here down the stretch. Syracuse 27, Clemson 24. Let's move on, Mike, to talk about the game that I wish we didn't have to talk about. Uh, Number 11, Miami 25, Georgia Tech 24. You already heard my thoughts. Uh, This was a pretty crushing defeat for Georgia Tech to take. Um, It's kind of become the norm for my teams this year. I'm kind of getting over it at this point. Um, It's really just frustrating the way that it happened. I think mostly 
the the bobbled pass that just fell into Daryl Langham's lap on fourth and ten to extend the game and really set up Miami in field goal range. That coming after a pass that hit Brad Stewart in the hands and he had secured and brought in and then dropped going to the ground uh, on a third down for Georgia Tech shortly beforehand. Um, the Jackets had chances to win this game and that they haven't, you know, that they didn't is just irritating. Um, this is, they're three and two right now and they probably should be five and zero, oh, all things considered. And yet uh, as things would have it for my teams in 2017, Mike, uh, it's not just not how those things go. So uh, Georgia Tech comes away with a, a rough, rough loss here and now is going into the homecoming game next weekend against a uh, totally, uh, totally just not really anything to worry about Wake Forest team, right? Nothing could possibly go wrong there. Yeah, nothing can go wrong. Nothing's ever gotten weird with Wake Forest coming to town. Um, mm-hmm. So two things stood out to me. Uh, Taquan Marshall only had 18 yards rushing on 19 carries. I thought Miami did a pretty good job shutting him down. Uh, Travis Homer went for 170 yards and a touchdown uh, as the starting running back in place of Mark Walton, who's, of course, out for the season for Miami with the fractured ankle. Um, Malik Rozier, 297 and a touchdown. Despite all that, Georgia Tech led for this entire football game. Basically from, what, middle of the first quarter on, it was all Georgia Tech as far as the scoreboard was concerned. They jumped out to that early lead. They held on to it for essentially the entire game we already talked about the stat where Georgia Tech has been leading or has been tied with their opponent for all but six total seconds in the second half of games this year and they sit here with a three and two record of course losing to Tennessee and Miami yesterday Uh, first of all this game was played in a monsoon Um, things got really weird in the second half Uh, rain everywhere you know, players were very lucky to hold on to the football in a lot of cases, um, especially that play you just spoke of where the ball's getting tipped around and the receiver comes down with it at the end on fourth and ten. And that was after a couple penalties made things really weird. It, it, the whole game was just very strange to me. Uh, Georgia Tech had no business losing this football game. They found a way to lose it, which... Or Miami found a way to win it. I don't care how you really slice it or dice it. But I came away more impressed with Georgia Tech in this football game than Miami once again. I think Miami is very lucky to be 5-0. and And I think Georgia Tech is very unlucky to be 3-2. and And I think that's really what it boils down to at this point in time. Uh, Georgia Tech is a lot better than their record. I think Miami is a little bit worse than what their record is at this point. And I think we're going to find out a lot... Uh, find out a lot about both of these teams in the coming weeks I think you know Georgia Tech is is well on their way to a nine or ten win season I I think Miami is as well but I think the issue that Miami is going to run into in the coming weeks is we're going to really find out what kind of team they actually have they barely escape a Florida State team that barely beat Duke Um, you know they were struggling against Toledo, and they found a way to pull that out in the second half. They were unimpressive in the opener against Bethune-Cookman. Miami's most impressive win so far, in my opinion, was their beatdown of Duke, and then we find out that Duke's really not as good as we think they are. So they really just stole this game yesterday. I think Georgia Tech is the best team they've played all year. It was exhibited yesterday with the Yellow Jackets leading essentially the entire game. 
but the most impressive win for Miami, I, I still say, was that Duke game. I was not impressed by this win yesterday over Georgia Tech whatsoever. I think they were really lucky to win this football game. I think they made a lot of mistakes defensively, um, just missed I, I don't know. The, their linebackers, it seemed like the entire game were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, despite really keying on Taquan Marshall, I, I thought Taquan Marshall made a lot of great reads in this football game, and he distributed the football to the places they needed to distribute it to in the running game. But with all that being said, I think that Ted Roof, the defensive coordinator for Georgia Tech, absolutely lost the Yellow Jackets this football game. Um Miami threw at least four or five bubble screens on that final drive in which they scored. It was like eight. Yeah, okay. It was eight, which is even worse than I thought. Um, so let's put emphasis on that. It was eight bubble screens. Um, he was playing He was playing his defensive backs seven to eight yards off of the receivers in the passing game, which continues to baffle me because, like I said, this game was played in a monsoon. Nobody was going to beat you over the top. Um, this wasn't a matter of, okay, Miami's got better receivers than Georgia Tech does defenders, so we're going to get beat over the top and get beat deep. It was a monsoon. It was a slow track. You have to get up on these players and get in their faces at the line of scrimmage and jam these receivers, and they were not doing that. So Miami just killed Georgia Tech on the final drive with bubble screens. It made Malik Rozier's life easy because he didn't have to throw the ball deep down the field in a monsoon. Like, all the better. I'm just throwing screen passes and... We're just going to beat them seven or eight yards at a time. And like you mentioned in your rant, Joey, that we played at the beginning of this podcast, it was a very vanilla scheme there at the end of the game. I thought Georgia Tech did a pretty decent job the entire game on Miami as far as the defense was concerned. But towards the end there, it was very vanilla. It was almost like he was afraid to give up a touchdown when a field goal would beat you, which... It's an extremely scary thought if I'm a Georgia Tech fan watching Ted Roos' defense, which I know is nothing new. Fans have been kind of cringing at that since Jump Street. But bad loss for Georgia Tech just because it was kind of stolen away from them. Good win for Miami. They found a way again. But I still come away more impressed with this game with Georgia Tech and their ability to match up with Miami across the board for almost the entire game, almost four full quarters. And... You could say, okay, Miami's great. They've pulled off a couple of wins they probably shouldn't have had. But it really makes you wonder just how good is this Miami team? Um, people are saying they're back. I don't think they're back. I, we'll see in the coming weeks, but I, I don't know. This game threw me through a loop yesterday afternoon. It was. Uh, I still don't really know what to make of either of these two teams. Mike, Miami scored three touchdowns in this game. Two of them came in the last 15 seconds of the half. They scored one 12 seconds before halftime. They scored one four seconds before the end of the game. Or, uh, excuse me, that, sorry, that wasn't a touchdown. But they, So let's say that their end of, uh, end of half drives, nine plays 77 yards in a minute and 47, 15 plays 85 yards in 226. And that's to end the first half and to end the game. I mean, like, what, what does that tell you? That Georgia Tech needs to make one stop in those cases, and they can't, and they can't do it. Um, they said that they worked a lot on that in practice the last couple of weeks, as they had a bye week, and this is what you get. Like, what does that tell you? Um, I, I'm with you. One of the things that this game taught me is that Miami is a beatable team. Um, 
I think that the the roadmap to beating Miami in this game or in any game is um, kind of along the same lines as the roadmap to beating like in Alabama. Um, they want to lean on the run. If you can stop the run and force Rozier to beat you with his arm, um, that's where things start to get really dicey for this offense. Um, and so I thought, again, most of the game, Georgia Tech had a really good game plan, and then it came down to it, and, and they couldn't execute when it, when it, uh, when it counted. And I, I blame coaching. I blame play calling. Um, you know, th- this one hurts, Mike. This is bad. Um, I think Miami is a beatable team. I think that they've got several games here – or they've got a couple games coming up at home against Syracuse and at UNC, and they've got a back-to-back against Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, both at home. But those are both games that they could lose. Um, I think we need to figure out more about what Virginia Tech is, but uh, Notre Dame in particular is probably a pretty bad matchup for Miami. Um, With as well as they run the ball in Miami's defense, not the best uh, defending the run, I think Notre Dame could be a pretty bad matchup for them down the road. So we uh, we will see, but... Yeah, this is this is a, as irritating as it gets for Georgia Tech fans. Um, really, a tough pill to f- swallow, and um, I guess life goes on. I don't know. Sometimes sports suck, Mike. I'm not gonna not gonna lie. Rough Miami rough 25 for you, Joey. Rough afternoon. Yeah, it was it was brutal. It was brutal. Miami 25, Georgia Tech 24. Let's move on, Mike. To talk about uh, my other team. Who, who did not really perform any better against any better opponent? Uh, Boston College 45, Louisville 42. I My big takeaway from this game, Mike, is I'm starting to feel really bad for Lamar Jackson. Um, Lamar Jackson came out. He, he did not play very well uh, last week against NC State. He played much better in this game. Um, over 330 yards passing, two touchdowns and a pick. 22 carries, 180 yards, and three touchdowns on the ground. And the rest of his team is just ass, Mike. They are. This is a bad football team. Um, I'll give credit to Des Fitzpatrick. Uh, the receiver is pretty good. Uh, Jair Alexander on defense is pretty good. But other than that, man, Louisville is a bad football team. Giving up 45 points at home to Boston College. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that should get someone fired. Um, that is not acceptable, especially for a, a new incoming defensive coordinator like Peter Sermon. Dude, like, I don't care that it's year one. This defense is getting worse, and you just gave up 45 points to one of the worst offenses in college football on your home field. Like, I, I don't know how to justify that. That is embarrassment to end all embarrassment. Um, this is a bad loss for Louisville, Mike, and, and Louisville's starting to look like a very, you know, pretty – poorly coached, uh, under underwhelming in the talent department type of football team. I, I have a feeling that they were very, very overranked to start the season when they started out ranked 16th in the country. You know who Louisville misses? Who's that? They miss your boy Josh Harvey Clemens on defense. Ugh, I don't miss a damn thing about him. <laughs> I miss Keith Kelsey at linebacker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Keith I Kelsey. I miss Devontae Fields at defensive end. Yeah, see, those are two tangible losses to my Josh Harvey Clemens loss that I just mentioned. But, um, yeah, anyway, uh, Louisville is one of the worst teams in the ACC, Joey. Yep, yeah, no, I'll, I'm down with that. They're pretty bad. They're showing some colors. Yeah, they're one of the worst teams in the ACC. I can't believe that 
it's come to that, but it really has, and it's really not all that surprising or that crazy to say at this point in time. Uh, defense is a problem. Um, maybe we need to talk about their defense a little bit more. I think all this time we've talked about, okay, the offensive line's been bad. You know, the receivers, you know, Lamar Jackson doesn't have the playmakers that maybe he had a year ago. But, you know, defensively, they've been pretty bad now for multiple weeks, and we've kind of been sweeping it under the rug a little bit. At least I have. I've said, you know, defense is fine. They're good enough to get the job done as long as the offense keeps putting up like 30 points per game. But we're getting to the point now where it's like code red for the defense. You give up 45 points to Boston College. Anthony Brown only had 100 yards passing in this football game, 5 of 17 throwing the football, and he still gave up 45 points because A.J. Dillon, 39 carries, 272, and four touchdowns for B.C. in this football game. He was great. I don't want to take anything away from him. He was outstanding. Offensive line blocked extremely well. Louisville had no answer for him, and they just kept handing him the football, handing him the football. We've talked about John Hilleman over and over again. We got to start talking about A.J. Dillon a little bit more because he's a great running back. Uh, 272, four scores. Big day for him. Had a 75-yard touchdown run in there as well. So big day for him. Uh, BC's defense did struggle in this game because Lamar Jackson put on an absolute show, as he tends to do. 332, two touchdowns, 180 yards rushing, three more touchdowns. Five touchdown day for Lamar Jackson wasn't enough against Boston College. That's when you know you have some serious issues. And... All that aside, Reggie Bonifant, 12 carries, 107 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Still wasn't enough to get the job done against BC. This is a potential job-saving victory for Steve Adazio there at BC. Because, you know, BC's just been sliding by six wins, seven wins. Make a bowl game, win a bowl game. Steve Adazio's offense, quietly garbage. Not quietly at all, actually, just really garbage. Defense, really good, right? And now all of a sudden you explode for 45 points against a Louisville team, which a lot of people think is like, you know, pretty decent. All of a sudden Louisville doesn't look so decent anymore. BC comes out, gets a huge win on the road. Uh, What more can you say? I mean, Steve Adazio might have saved his job potentially with this victory against Louisville, especially if Louisville ends up winning eight or, you know, seven or eight. I'd like to think they at least get to six wins, but if they get to seven or eight wins and one of those losses is to BC, it could really end up saving Steve Adazio's job at Boston College. That's my biggest takeaway from this game on Saturday. Man, you said it. A.J. Dillon was incredible for Boston College in this game. 39 carries, close to 300 yards rushing. Um, He was outstanding. Four touchdowns. I just don't understand how Louisville gives up 555 yards of offense and 27 first downs to this Boston College offense. Um, 45 points in a conference game. They said that that was the first time I think that they've scored 40 against a Power 5 team since, I think, 2013. Um, man, that's that's quite the honor, Louisville, that you're, you're the first team that they score that against. Um, yeah, um, Boston College, I, I don't totally know how they did this um, other than just an outstanding effort from A.J. Dillon. Uh, you know, decent play from Anthony Brown and Darius Wade at quarterback. But at the end of the day... To me, this just says so much more about Louisville. Um, again, I, and I've been saying this all year. You get past Lamar Jackson, and this is a bad football team. Um, I, I don't think anything I saw today uh, or saw in this game really made me think any different. I haven't seen anything in weeks that made me think any different. Um, this is just kind of our reality in 2017. 
it makes me wonder how long Bobby Petrino is for this job. Um, Louisville's AD recently was uh, unceremoniously dumped as a part of the whole Adidas basketball scandal ordeal. Um, so with Tom Jurich out the door, it makes me question, will Bobby Petrino be here for a while? Is his... Uh, one foot out the door currently, and therefore that's kind of what's leading to some of this, you know, lack of preparation and, and uh, just embarrassing losses. You know, I, I don't know what to say, but um, what I do know is that it is it is really frustrating to watch. Um, it's really disappointing to watch. I, again, I feel bad for Lamar Jackson. He deserves better than this. And uh, I hope that he stays healthy and, and can uh, get through the rest of this year and move on because – you know this this is not this is not what he deserves mike this is not good this is not okay he he needs literally any help and his team just is not able to give it to him right now yeah i think we're officially in pick up your ball and go home territory for lamar jackson just you know pick up the pieces move on don't get hurt you know skip the bowl game if you want to if you make it bowl game <laughs> yeah that would be real unfortunate if that happened Fair to say that I think he's proved basically everything he needed to prove in terms of, you know, being NFL ready as a quarterback. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Lamar Jackson is going to start somewhere in the NFL day one and just be, you know, God's gift to man at quarterback in the NFL. But I do know that physical talent wise, he's pretty much the total package size wise, arm strength wise, everything. Um, and I think that he's, he looks like a guy that would be a little bit of a project, but a project worth taking on for an NFL team. You know, it's really scary, too. I thought about this. Once this game went final, I saw Louisville was 4-3, and three, and then I looked at their schedule, and I was like, well, they can probably get to six or seven wins, right, given the schedule they have remaining and, you know, how up and down they've been the last few weeks. You remember about a month ago, Joey, we were talking about Louisville, and they were coming off of a tough loss to Clemson. And you and I kind of both said, this is maybe a 6-6 six and six team without Lamar Jackson. And now I'm sitting here, and they'll be lucky to be a 6-6 six and six team with Lamar Jackson. We, ma- we massively, massively underrated just how good Lamar Jackson is. And we've been Lamar Jackson truthers now for the two years we've been doing this podcast. We're getting to the point now, it's like peak, like if you don't have Lamar Jackson, this is like a three-win football team territory. Like that's where we're heading mm-hmm. right now. And it's pretty remar- remarkable considering that just a month ago we were like, yeah, 6-16 six and 16 without Lamar Jackson. Uh, look, they got to get to six wins now. They're 4-3. and three. They have a couple winnable games coming up. They, In all likelihood, they probably get to seven wins. They could get to eight potentially. But... Not the easiest of schedules coming up, and it'll be interesting to see where they go from here because this was an inexplicable loss to BC that should have never happened. And, you know, we thought BC might keep this relatively close. I think you and I were both shocked when they ended up pulling away and winning this football game. It was pretty crazy how this all went down. Yeah. Weird game. I don't know. Weird week. Uh, Boston College 45, Louisville 42. Let's move on, Mike. My pick of the week, Florida State 17, Duke 10. Uh, I just went back and looked, and I think every – so, first of all, my picks of the week have been trash this year. Um, I think I moved to 2-6 and on the year in picks of the week. It's been pretty bad. I had Florida State minus 8 in this game. They win by 7. 
Uh, I've every pick I've made except for one has been either on Florida State or on Clemson, and uh, I'm I'm done trusting Florida State at this point. Um, they they did not get it done in this game. This was a struggle of a game for Florida State in a situation that really should not have been a struggle at all. Um, there there's no good reason, especially from a talent perspective, that this should not have been a, a you know a twenty point win for the Seminoles, but. As Duke is wont to do, they hang around, keep it close, and uh, we're kind of in it till the end. They had a, a last-second, last-ditch effort, a, a pass into the end zone as time expired that was damn near caught and almost sent the game to overtime. But um, Florida State survives, wins 17-10 in unimpressive fashion, gets their second win in ACC play and second win on the season overall. Um I don't know, Mike. I, what is going on with Florida State? This team is just not at all what we thought they were going to be. They're completely punchless on offense right now. And at yeah. first I thought it was a DeAndre Francois problem. And I no longer think that. I mean, obviously not having DeAndre Francois is part of the problem. But I think it's part of a bigger problem. It's the offensive line hasn't performed well. Their skill talent on the outside hasn't evolved to the level that I think you and I thought that they would this year. They are pretty young on the outside, right? They you know, they don't have Travis Rudolph like they did a year ago. Maybe that's making a bigger difference than you and I thought it would. Um, not having Francois is a big deal. You don't have Dalvin Cook anymore. That's a big deal. I get that you have uh, Jacquez Patrick, who's been pretty good this year, granted you know, behind a really bad offensive line. Cam Akers has had a decent start to his career at Florida State, but this really comes down to the offensive line and the lack of solid quarterback play. Um, you know, as long as DeAndre Francois is not in the mix at the quarterback position, it's going to be really hard for them to move the football this season. Um, I, I'm still holding out hope that they improve in the passing game, uh, you know, maybe into November they're a little bit better offense than they are right now and maybe they're a force to be reckoned with then because I do still think this defense is really really solid and you know has been pretty good throughout the entirety of the season even though their record may not show that at this point granted they still eked out a win Daniel Jones over 200 yards passing had a pretty good bounce back game for Duke Duke's having similar issues on offense from the offensive line standpoint they didn't. They haven't been running the football great either, and that's another real issue that Duke has, even more so than Florida State, because Duke just doesn't have the playmakers that the Seminoles have. And while the offenses are in two similar areas right now, you obviously have a little bit more trust in Florida State to find a way just because of how many athletes they have across the board. But as far as where they're at right now, I just think they're completely out of sync. They're trying to break in Blackman, who's a true freshman. That's always hard. I, you know, I don't care, you know, what time of the year it is. I mean, it, it was good that they were able to break him in from, like, game two forward. But what didn't help Florida State is that they had basically a month off because of the hurricane. So you lose that game to Alabama, you have, like, two and a half almost. I mean, you have three full weeks off before you play your next game. It's really tough to get any chemistry going between James Blackman and those receivers that he's playing with because it's one thing to have the practice reps. It's another thing to have the game reps and. You know, I'm hoping Florida State can move forward here into November, um, into back half of October, early November. Maybe they start getting some momentum going on offense, but they're just out of sync right now. And I think a lot of it has to do with having Blackman in a quarterback and just having an offensive line that just really hasn't performed well. 
Daniel Jones was better in this game. Uh, 22 of 35 for 204 yards, no picks. Most importantly, um, Sean Wilson did an okay running, okay job running the ball for Duke, and TJ Roming in particular was great in the passing game. Uh, eight catches for 111 yards. He's he's really been the go-to guy for Daniel Jones this year. Uh, I looked up and I saw that he's got nearly 200 yards more than anybody else on the team receiving. Um, he, he's got a pretty big lead on everyone. So if, if you're going to be covering anybody, cover that guy. Um, yeah, Duke is also kind of underwhelming. Um, this is a Florida State team that was beatable, apparently. And they did a good job to hang around. They couldn't quite get the job done. Um, they, they struggled to score, especially in the second half. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, again, this is more about Florida State. Like, they, they are underwhelming, and I think it the offensive line, as you mentioned, is really an enormous issue for this team right now. It's keeping them from running the ball. It's keeping them from protecting James Blackman and, and therefore affecting the passing game. Um, there, it might have gotten DeAndre Francois hurt to begin with. Uh, worth throwing out there. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Not great for Florida State. I, and at this point, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty much – done with this whole trusting them to uh, win games that they're supposed to and, and to cover spreads and such. So uh, next week they are home against Louisville in a game. I don't know if it's about who's better or who's worse, but uh, at the very least it'll be a revenge spot for the Knolls after a beatdown last year. So we'll see how that goes. Mike, anything else before we move on? No, I think I'm all set. Knowles 17, Blue Devils 10. Moving on, Virginia 20, North Carolina 14. Mike, who covered in this game? Virginia covered as one of my five bets this week. My five, One of my five winning bets, shall I say. You bet on Virginia as a road favorite? I did. It's come to that. We have Dude, come speaking to that. of weird weeks, man, what a weird, weird thing. Um, yeah, Virginia got it done here. Um UNC kind of more of the same, uh, struggling to score to a certain degree. No Chaz Surratt in this game. Instead, we got a full uh, Brandon Harris experience. He went 7 for 18 for 46 yards and three picks through the air. So basically, basically it went as expected for Brandon Harris throwing the ball. Yeah, no, pretty much. That's pretty much exactly what was supposed to happen there. Virginia ran the ball really well. Jordan Ellis, 27 carries for 136 yards. Kurt Benkert continues to throw the ball well. Again, weird time to be alive. 19 to 31 for 249 and two touchdowns. Mike, this whole season is getting like turned all up on its head. There's a lot of people calling the 10 year reunion of 2007. It's starting to look a little bit like that season in just terms of weirdness. And I think these two teams are a pretty perfect embodiment of, of how weird things are starting to get in the ACC and around the country. Virginia is actually pretty good. And North Carolina is just complete downright trash at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I have both said that Virginia is benefiting from a schedule that hasn't necessarily been that strong through the first six or seven weeks. But at the same time, Virginia is winning games that they would not have won in the past. And that's what's encouraging about what they've done through six weeks of the season. You and I both said, I think, well... I can't remember what I said for a win total for them, but it was in the three to five win range. I, I might have said four wins on the nose. I can't remember right now, but we both had four and eight. Okay, so we both had four and eight. There we go. So they've already exceeded that through six weeks. They're five and one. Um, they have a very tough schedule down the stretch, but 
I think they'll get to at least six wins and maybe even seven, given what they have in front of them the next couple of weeks before their schedule starts getting real, real brutal. To your point, Kurt Benkert's been really, really solid throwing the football. He's been efficient. He hasn't really been turning the football over all that much. He was a year ago, which is why he lost his job back to Matt Johns. Plus, Benkert was also hurt, which didn't help. Um, but 249, two scores on Saturday. They found a really solid running back in Jordan Ellis, who's been fantastic. 27 carries for 136 yards, like you mentioned. He's been really, really good. North Carolina really missed Chad Surratt in this game. You don't get the same level of arm talent with Brandon Harris, as we mentioned, when you have 46 yards and three interceptions. Never a good thing. A QBR of 6.3 as I sit here looking at the ESPN stats, which is hysterical. Um, so not a good day for Brandon Harris. Went pretty much how it was supposed to. Olameda Zacchaeus, try saying that five times fast. Virginia's outstanding receiver, five catches, 100 yards and a touchdown. He had an 81-yard touchdown reception, so... That was a majority of the total. But he's been the go-to guy for Ben Kurt all year. He had another nice game there on Saturday. So UVA is 5-1. and UNC is 1-6. and uh, UNC is probably... Look, UNC's bad, right? And they're in a rebuild. But sitting here at 1-6, uh, it's in large part due to the injuries that they've sustained on both sides of the football. Um, it would be dumb for us to sit here and say that it was anything other than that. Um Sure, they're bad, but I don't think they're one and six bad. I, with everybody they have out, it's really hard to get a solid read on what this team actually is this year. I know it's a rebuild. I know it was going to be a struggle to get to six or seven wins, get to bowl eligibility for North Carolina, just given what they lost on both sides of the football and what they had as far as the schedule was concerned. But I'm very, very surprised that they're this bad and they're one and six. But then you look at the schedule and you look at the injuries that they've had and it's really this is kind of a, just a really bad mixture at the wrong time for North Carolina so a clear rebuild year for Larry Fedora tough loss to Virginia but Virginia like you said I mean they're an up-and-coming team in the ACC they're having a really solid bounce back year I'd be shocked if it was anybody other than Bronco Mendenhall for coach of the year at this point we'll have to see what happens throughout the entirety of the season and we'll have to see what the next you know month and a half two months brings but he's done a really solid job there for virginia bringing that program back by the way mike unc their next two games at virginia tech home against miami the next two weeks the tar heels might be eliminated from bowl contention by the end of october um they currently sit at one and six they haven't won a conference game yet their only win was over uh, old dominion in week three and things are not looking up at this point so yeah, going downhill in a in a hurry for UNC. Meanwhile, Virginia now has a home game against Boston College and a road game against Pittsburgh. And again, at five and one, they could find themselves seven and one uh, by the end of October. Which, you know, the weirdness continues. I don't know. I can't explain it. Uh, it's just you know, weird time in the ACC. Uh, Virginia 20, North Carolina 14. Last game, Mike, moving on. The only game that really just, like, went how it was supposed to go top to bottom this week. NC State 35, Pittsburgh 17. And now, it you know, at the beginning, this, this thing started slow for uh, NC State. They struggled out the gate, and, and they had a, a – they were tied at 14 at halftime. Um, this was your pick of the week. You had NC State covering 13. 
I was with you. I actually ended up betting this game, uh, having NC State cover 11. I thought that they were going to blow the doors off of Pittsburgh, and um, they, they ended up winning pretty big here, but it kind of took a while for them to get going. They came out pretty sleepy uh, after a, a big win last week against Louisville on Thursday night, uh, but it ends up being a, a really strong day for Naeem Hines in particular. He had a long uh, punt return touchdown as well as a long rushing touchdown. Um, he had a good day. The NC State defense came to life in the second half and really kind of put up uh, put put Pittsburgh away. Uh, as Pittsburgh struggles, Ben DiNucci gets pulled in uh, the third quarter, I think it was, for Kenny Pickett, whose red shirt was burned last week. Kenny didn't really do any better than Ben did. I don't totally know why they pulled him to begin with. Um, and Mike... Who was Pitt's leading rusher in this game? And I'm going to give you a hint. This is not a game of name that quadri. Was it Jordan Whitehead, Joey? I believe for the fourth week in a row now, it was Jordan Whitehead. Now, to be fair, he tied Kenny Pickett with 18 yards. That led the team. But, Still bad. Uh, Pitt, come on, man. Like, you can't find a better running back than your safety? This is embarrassing. Um Jordan Whitehead now second leading rusher on the team with 150 yards on only 18 carries. He's a little over 100 yards behind Quadri Allison, who has 266 yards on 65 carries. Uh, this is kind of the bane of Pitt's existence right now is trying to run the ball. It's not working at all uh, as things continue to spiral out of control for the Panthers here. The best part was on the telecast. They mentioned that you know Pittsburgh was hoping to establish the run game in this football game because they hadn't really had a consistent running attack all year and they're tired of running Jordan Whitehead into the ground because Pat Narduzzi quote unquote said, Oh, it's costing them on defense. And it's cost them a couple ball games. Um, that's a major problem. If you're having a situation where your safety can't play running back anymore because he's costing you games on defense. Um, that's a major issue. So if that's what's come down to in Pittsburgh, I have no idea what to think of this football team moving forward. Yeah, start peeling back the layers on that one of your safety playing too much offense and therefore impacting your defense, which is already bad anyways. Uh, it's not a good situation for Pittsburgh right now. But again, a good win for NC State. They got it rolling after a while and uh, ended up putting the Panthers away. And they ended up covering as a... Uh, Mike, you just continue to uh, sweep up on your picks of the week. You're now 7-1 and one on the season, and uh, another one goes right here. Yeah, quick shout-out to Jalen Samuels on his game-winning 40-yard t- – well, game-winning, uh, bet-winning 40-yard touchdown run to seal the 11 in the hook for me there for NC State. So, without that touchdown run, I lose my bet, and you get a push. And, hey, we're both winners now, thanks to Jalen Samuels there on that final play. My man. Jalen Samuels getting it done when it counts and helping to cover and win. NC State 35, Pitt 17. Mike, we got two more things we got to do here. First of all, we got a go ACC moment of the week. And um, I don't know if you were watching that uh, Georgia Tech-Miami game as it was going on, but there was a pretty particularly special moment to start off the second half. And uh, recognizing that my team didn't win, I still felt like this is pretty deserving. Uh, so Georgia Tech comes out of the locker room, going to receive the second half kickoff. Miami decides to get a little feisty with the play calling, and that's when this happened. You know, find the range, run the football a little bit, and so that onside that kick. Sorry, Rod, did not go far enough, and Georgia Tech is going to scoop it up miraculously, incredibly, 
Georgia Tech on the blown onside kick scores a touchdown. Lamont Simmons. Wow. Yeah, so I, you know, I can appreciate the creativity and the play calling there, but man, that, that really just backfired in a, in a hurry. And Georgia Tech, thankfully, was uh, in position to take advantage, Mike. Yeah, uh, you bring an onside kick back to the house, and it's literally surprised everybody. Uh, not because they ran it back, but really just because they were like, oh, wait, um, I'm just going to sit here. I think it was Bra- – was it Braxton Berrios? I think it was Braxton Berrios waiting for the ball to go 10 yards. It was. And then, yeah, he's waiting for the ball to go 10 yards, just kind of standing there, and he just seems amused that Georgia Tech all of a sudden recovers it, and then he's like, oh, my God, I have like 40 yards of green grass in front of me. Let me take this back to the house real quick. Um, the play was hysterical, so go ACC moment of the week goes to Miami for failing to understand how to cover an onside kick. I mean, look, fundamentals, right? You kick the onside kick, doesn't go 10 yards, just cover it up so your opponent doesn't pick it up and run it back for a touchdown. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, you got to focus, Miami. Um, so not great there. Go ACC to that. Big old uh, play for Georgia Tech special teams on a, a bit of a blunder by the Hurricanes. Mike, we also have a Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award to hand out this week. Uh, It comes from my other team, although my team was the victim in this case. Uh, Did you see A.J. Dillon's – first of all, we talked about how he had a huge game. He was really tough to tackle for Louisville's defense in particular. Did you see the run where he just – he was wrapped up and then, like, falcon punched the defender off of him and just took it to the house? (laughs) It did his – basically ended that dude's life holy cow he stiff-armed him and when i say stiff-armed him he stiff-armed him then he basically dug a hole in the ground put him in the ground buried him and then ran it something like 80 yards for a touchdown yeah um that's how you swing the momentum in a football game yeah that was whoo that was something um Man, A.J. Dillon with a ridiculous run. Just a, a He was dead to rights. Um, Louisville's defense basically stopped playing because they knew that he was, uh, he, he was wrapped up and he was done. And then all of a sudden just throws the defender off of him and runs out into the open field and scores a long, long touchdown. So a uh, huge run by A.J. Dillon. But in particular, Louisville defense, you tried – tried to wrap him up on several occasions, including this one, and it didn't really go so hot. That's one of those rip-your-heart-out plays. I mean, that's essentially what it was. It was like, hey, you have me stop dead to rights in the backfield, and then actually, no, you don't. Let me just crib this real quick. And that's exactly what he did. So, hey, good for him. Not good for Louisville. Uh, Defense continues to be a problem, like we mentioned. As a Louisville fan, it was one of those where I, I damn near put my palm through my nose. Like, just couldn't believe it. Like, just the, the response is immediately just, are you freaking kidding me? Um, unbelievable. But uh, unbelievable run by A.J. Dillon. Just Louisville defense tried to tackle him, and uh, they did not. So, Brian Van Gorder Memorial, you try to award, goes to the Louisville defense on the day for uh, the complete and total incompetence in trying to tackle A.J. Dillon. 
All right, Mike, we, uh, we've got to get on out of here. Uh, this has been really fun in a, a – I don't know. We'll, I'll leave it up to you on if it's been a fun week of college football or not. I'm still kind of recovering from my own team's uh, disappointing outcome, we'll say. Anything else you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? Once again, I'm really happy that neither Virginia Tech nor Notre Dame played this weekend. Um, now both teams, I'll be at the Virginia Tech UNC game this coming weekend, and ND has a big date with USC in South Bend on Saturday night. So we got a fun weekend ahead of us, which we'll preview. But yeah, glad that neither one of my teams played. I could just sit here as an outside observer and watch the chaos across college football this weekend. But ready to move on to week eight already. Yeah, those who did play this weekend were probably victims. Um, so, yeah, good good on you for your teams not having to play this weekend. But, um, yeah, like you said, we're going to come back and we're going to preview week eight here in the next couple of days. Um, should be another fun weekend. I'm going to be heading to Atlanta to uh, go to Georgia Tech's homecoming game against Wake Forest, which they just can't possibly lose, right, Mike? Not a possibility. Because nothing, yeah, because nothing weird has ever happened against Wake Forest. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so that'll be fun. But uh, in, in any case, yeah, so we'll be back to preview those games uh, very soon. In the meantime, you folks can reach us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play, on SoundCloud, on the Overcast app, on other podcast platforms. You can not find us on other podcast platforms. We haven't really put together a comprehensive list yet, but one day, Mike, one day we will get there. Um, Mike, where can they find us on the social medias? Facebook.com slash basketball conference. Rate, review, and find all of our podcasts there. Absolutely. And we had a new like on Facebook recently. Uh, big shout out to, as I pull this up, Chris Kaiser. Uh, thank you, sir, for hitting the like button. Uh, big shout out to you. And thank you for your support. Thank you, everybody, for your support on Facebook and on iTunes and everywhere else. Um, Mike, anything else before we head out of here and come back to preview week eight? think i'm good um a little bit nervous about a letdown spot for virginia tech this weekend against north carolina we'll get into that in the preview it's coming off a bye which is always a little weird for me and it's against a north carolina team that's been kind of pesky but also really bad so that's making me a little nervous so i guess we'll get into that in the preview yeah definitely some potential for some wonkiness in week eight in the acc so uh, come on back and check out the, our thoughts before those games come up. But, uh, Mike, this has been fun. We will talk again soon. All right, buddy. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Go ACC. Go ACC.